This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, all our Torah Anytime viewers. We are learning tonight Le'iluni Shmat Yehuda Le'i Ben Yitzchak and Miriam Bat Bracha and Rachel Bat Chaya. Okay, so today we're on uh, continuing on the Mashiach topic, and we are going to be discussing. This is really a, like an introduction to next week's topic, which will be the War of Gog and Magog. So this is uh, the, the, the title that we're going to, and the topic that we're going to discuss is who is going to be involved in Gog and Magog. And we're also going to speak about subtopics that you have to, you have to understand to understand, you have to understand to understand the War of, of Gog and Magog. So, uh, additionally, we're, when I'm going to be quoting today the, the, the psukim, the verses, instead of saying, let's say, Yechezkel, chapter 34, verse 32, I'm just going to say Yechezkel 32, 32, or 32, 31, right? So that makes sense, this way we just, uh, you know, don't have to say chapter and verse every, every two seconds. So the first number is going to be the chapter, the second number is going to be the verse, just because there's a lot of uh, psukim that uh, I want to uh, source everything as much as I possibly could. Okay, so to begin... The war of Gog and Magog. Who is going to be involved in this war? So it's going to come, it's going to be in stages. It's going to first start, um, in a, a sort of a war between Yishmael and Edom. And we could think of it between the Christians and the Muslims. This is going to be the, the, the way that's going to start. Eventually it's going to go, and then it's going to, con- they're going to convene, and they're going to go attack Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem. So it's going to start first against them, then they're going to make peace, and they're going to go against a common enemy, which is unfortunately going to be us. Um, so, to understand uh, a few ideas behind this, there is, um, in, uh, in Yol, 4.19, it says like this, it says, Egypt is going to become desolate, and Edom should be like a desert waste. So, what it's saying over here, this is referring to what's going to happen afterwards. After Gog and Magog, Egypt is going to be desolate, and Edom is also going to be desolate, it's like a desert. Both of them are going to be like deserts. So, what is Egypt over here? Like, Egypt's off the, the map already for, you know, like 2,000 years. Who knows about Egypt? No one knows about Egypt. You say Egypt, you think about, you know, you know the pyramids, and you think about uh, the brothers, Muslim Brotherhood, whatever it's called. So, you, you know, Islam, so what do we care? What's, what's Egypt over here? So it says that Radak, on this, on this uh, pasuk, he explains like this. He says, Egypt represents Yishmael. So when the Torah, in, in reference to the end of the day, speaks about Egypt, it's going re- to be in reference to Yishmael, and Edom is going to be in reference to the Roman kingdom. Now, why is Egypt in reference to Yishmael? In fact, you know, you could pick, there's so many, there's so many Muslim countries. Why specifically Egypt as it, as it sticks out? And the answer is, is because Yishmael, when he, uh, we spoke about this before, when he got married to his first wife, and his father, Abraham Abinu, came to visit him, and he saw that his first wife was Tinji, so what did he do? Divorce, 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 right? And out the window. He went, uh, he divorced her. And then he went, and who did he marry? He married somebody from Hagal's family. Where was Hagal from? She was from Egypt. So his wife, his uh, I guess we could say his main wife uh, of his wives, it was uh, was Egyptian. So hence Islam, which is also stems from Ishmael, is from when it's referenced to uh, Egypt. As for Edom being uh, the Christians, this the Malbim explains on Ovadia one one. It says that all those people that eventually accept the Christian, and we spoke about this also previously, all those that eventually accept the Christian religion are, 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 are being part of Edom. So, we see over here that the war is going to be between Islam and Christianity, and at the end, it's going to be very interesting because at the end, they're not going to be left with anything. And we'll speak about it also, they're going to be complete deserts of the places. They, which is where we're living. So, now... There's a Zohar in, uh, in Parshas Vayera that says like this, that says that uh, Yishmael are going to provoke great wars in the, in the world. And they're going to band together, the, the children of Edom, and they're going to go and they're going to challenge Yishmael. 
And we see that is happening already in Iraq and Iran and Syria and all these things are already going and they're attacking the, the Islam. And it says like this, something very, very interesting. There's going to be one war in the sea, one war on land, and one in the vicinity of Yerushalayim. Which is something, you know, it's hard to understand that, that in itself. But hopefully we'll be able to get a better understanding as we go and explain on uh, Gogo Magog. So, there's another clarification that we do have to... Um, we do have to do is, is something called, there's going to be, it speaks about this in, in, uh, in also in verses, the king of the south versus the king of the north. So, the king of the south is going to be in reference to Ishmael, and the king of the north, whenever we speak about that, that's going to be in reference to Edom. Okay, so now we have to, now that we had the, those are the basics, now we have to dig into it and understand what's up. Why is Islam fighting with Christianity? You know, why do they, I mean, we understand it's always been, you know, never been so peaceful between them, but what is it that at the end of the day is that they're going to be fighting for it? So, our sages teach us that, and we spoke about this also, Edom, what does Edom represent? We said it represents arrogance. Edom is very orderly. When I say Edom, right, you guys remember that's the Western, the Western world. So, the, they're very orderly. What does it mean? They're able, they have the ability to take separate parts and fashion them together in order to, f- to fulfill a unified purpose. An example for that is technology. That's the way the technology works. You're able to take certain things, you're able to unify them together, and you're able to advance because, uh, you know, due to that. You're able to take different elements, combine them, and create uh, a whole new uh, spectrum of ideas and uh, things that could help you improve your lives, or also for, unfortunately, for destruction as well. But that is Edom. So where, Edom has the ability to build. They're able to build, they're able to grow. Where, where does this go into, into their character trait? It ends up building up their arrogance. And we know this leads to heresy. And it's something very interesting now, as technology is, is, is going more and more, what do we see? That people are becoming more and more heretic, heretic heresy. Mm-hmm. So they stop, why? Because you have answers for everything. Science. Everything is in science. You don't have to do, deal with anything. You don't have to deal with God. There's no such thing as supernatural. Everything is science. So we see Adam has this, uh, you know, this arrogance that they say, no, no, no. We take care of everything. We don't need God. There's no, so, there's no such thing as God. That is Adam. What is Ishmael? What is Islam? Islam is the the um, the complete opposite. We know that we spoke about that Ishmael is known as His hand is in everybody else's, and everybody else's hand is in, is in him. And we spoke about him. This is a person. This is a type of personality that wrecks havoc on everybody. Can't control them. You can't look at France. Look at you know. Look at Great Britain. Look at uh, Germany. They deal whatever they want to deal the way that they want to deal with it, and that's the period that's end. You cannot tell them you have to do this way because they're not going to go with that. So. They have this um, freedom that they like to have. But this also goes to more than just the freedom of, you know, having a rulership on top of them. But this is also freedom of their desires. They're able to accomplish any single desire they want. And not only that, they make it a kosher way. And this why, this way, for them, it's absolutely not a problem that they are able to marry multiple, multiple women and then beat them and then, you know, hit them and divorce them and whatever it is. It's not a problem because everything is based on whatever they want to do and that is the right thing. So they have this unbridled lust and we know that it's a very lustful, um, society as well. So, the, um, now, now when you see something over here, we see over here the two exact opposite. One's orderly. Adam, Christians, those are fashion. Everything's exactly the way it's supposed to be. The other one is, no, disorderly. Everything is, everything is freedom. So we see over here something very, very important. We delve a little bit more. Ramchal explains like this. He explains that by the war of Gog and Magog, it's going to be the nullification of all forces of evil. And we know before something dies out, 
it, it uses all its energy to expand and to, to light. And we know we gave this example with a, with a candle. You have a candle, right before it, right before it goes out, it gets, gives off the biggest light and then it dies out. So we see over here, we have two opposite forces of evil. And they're both gonna be dying out right before, right before the end of days, so they're gonna have the, both this burst of this evil that's gonna come out from them, and they're both diametrically opposite each other. So what are they gonna do? They're obviously gonna start clashing against each other, and hence this is where the war is going to begin, and this is where the war is gonna start. Cause this one's focused on one thing, this one's focused on another thing, and they're gonna clash, and that is gonna be the, War of at least the beginning of the war of Kol Gamagog. Now we can understand something else. Now we can understand that Rabbi Lezer says in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, page ninety-eight b, that says, "What is a person want to do if they want to be saved from the sufferings of Mashiach, from the time before Mashiach comes, the Chevle Mashiach? What should he do?" Says Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Lezer, says that a person should occupy himself with Torah and good deeds. Torah gemilut chasadim. So Torah is learning to our good deeds is just you know being a kind person, go and pursuing and doing good for others. Now, why specifically those two are going to be able to go and save you in the end of days? So now listen how beautifully it plugs in. So it explains Rabbi Yitzchak Isaac Haver. He says the ter- the Edom. What was Edom? Edom was arrogance. Everything was pride. When you go and you do chesed for somebody else, you're trying to show that what. Like, I care about you. It's not, the world is not only about me. It's not everything about me. I care about other people. So you take down the arrogance and you go and you give to other people. So that part of the, of the Gimulus Chasadim, that is taking away the arrogance, a part of Edom that's rising up, that's bringing that full force right before Mashiach come. And now you look at the, the lust, the physical lust that we have with uh, Ishmael. So what happens, if we know, uh, the Torah says that if, let's say, it is Bati I think this is in Kedushan, if I'm not mistaken. Bati Torah Tavlim. I created the, uh, the evil inclination, but I created the Torah as an antidote. And this is the secret. That if somebody is going to go, and they're, they're aroused with temptation to do something, how to, de- to remove that temptation is actually to go and learn Torah. And that reduces the temptation. So we see over here that Ishmael, if you want to get rid of Ishmael, what are you going to do that? You have the Torah. If you want to get rid of Edom, you want to get rid of the arrogance, you do Gemilut Chasadim. That is why these two port foul, powerful forces that have come at the end of days, in order to get rid of them, you're going to have to do this very simple. Yimilut chasadim and Torah, because these are the two forces that come out and uh, go in together. So, now the, um, the prophet Daniel in uh, 1210 says, I still feel, even though I'm saying it, I still feel it's coming out wrong. I think I have to say chapter 12, verse 10. It just feels weird to me. Um, okay, so the prophet Daniel says like this. He says, you know, that when the time of the eradication of evil will come into the world, the wicked ones, they're not going to understand that purpose of the whole, uh, of the, the suffering that's going on. And this is very unfortunate because we see this today. There's some people that just they have very, very hard lives. And they're going one after another after another. And they're not leaving, living the most kosher lives. And, re- you know, it's very obvious for people, live, you know, learning the, the life of Torah. You can see, like, listen, you're, you're suffering because God's sending you messages. Wake up. But some people, it's like, you know right over the head, no, they will never change the way they are. And this is how it's going to be before the before the end of time. That the people that are going to be so stuck into the evil that they're not going to get the hint. They're not going to be able to get wake up, unfortunately. And they go one after, one after, one after, one after, kept on going, more suffering and more suffering. And the idea for us is that, if, God forbid, these things happen, we have to wake up and realize, okay, there's a reason why something's happening. And there's a way to get out of it. And we just spoke about that. The way to get out of it is Torah and good deeds. So now, this is something very interesting. Also, we see the um, we reference a lot when you when you see especially when you speak about the the current uh, you know times that we are in, and when you speak about Mashiach, it's very very often goes back to the the fall of the twin towers because that was a huge that was a huge turnaround in history. Um, but it's very interesting. The numerical value of the twin towers in Hebrew is Migdaleh Hatumim, is five hundred and eighty nine, and it's also the same numerical value of Melchemet Gog Magog, the War of Gog Magog. So we see over here, and it did after that. There was a lot of wars started because of that, we had to go to Iraq and Afghanistan. We know we, the world started changing, 
Instead of everybody having, you know, their own lives more or less, all of a sudden America started getting involved in, in other, in other, you know, civilizations that were way far off, third world countries that are spewing hate against the, the Western society. And you see that there, you know, something started brewing then. So you have, uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating how, because what, what are the Islams, they, they, they scream out like death to America, death to the West, death to, you know, like without any, any, no embarrassment, no bushot, no nothing. No, in your face, I'll tell you. And I'm, by the way, I'm talking about in America. I'm not talking about something in Afghanistan yeah. in a cave. In America, this is what they're chanting. So, I mean, it's idiotic. So go. No one wants you here. Go back home. Go. Go, go to your motherland. Mothership. <laughs> so now, the, um, but we see over here that Yishmael, his arrogance. What was his arrogance? His arrogance was the Twin Towers. Come on, look at this. You know, the financial capital of the world. You're looking at the, you know, you know, Manhattan. Every picture we spoke about always had the Twin Towers on it. So you see over here, this is what we bossed about. This is the arrogance that America had. What did Yishmael do? Took those down. Why? Because they're starting to clash against each other. And that's why the, the, the fighting, and, and it's going. And you see how Ishmael, the population is bursting. It's crazy the amount of, po- the, the way it's going. And we spoke about this, how it's the fastest growing religion. So, the, um, the idea is that we see this happening before our very eyes. And this is also what, you know, it says in Sephania, chapter 3, verse 12, that Mashiach ben David is not going to become until the arrogant ones from Israel are going to be removed. Because we see the arrogance are going to go down. And one thing after another, and we speak about pride very often. I don't know if you get that. There's one topic that I speak about consistently is pride. We spoke about how bad it is for relationships. One of the worst character traits for a relationship to, to survive is if one of the, of the partners has a lot of pride. Because they're not going to apologize. They're not going to do anything. Pride is a very, very terrible character trait. And we see before the time of Mashiach comes, the pride is going to go somehow. Somehow it's going to go. The question is how. Um, and also speaking on the Twin Towers, is, there's a pasuk in Tehillim, chapter two, uh, 97, verse 1, uh, actually verse 5. It says, Harim kedonag nemasu Hashem. The mountains melted like wax. What does that mean, melted like wax? And so it's something very interesting. If you look at the way that the Twin Towers fell down, the mountains of the Jew, of the economy, of the New York economy, it literally melted like wax. It, you know how wax melts on itself and then it goes down. It literally collapsed upon itself exactly like, like, uh, uh, mountains, uh, melted like wax. Okay. So, what happened when, when you have all these arrogant people? What is, how does God usually take them down? Takes them down hard. You know, for example, uh, Titus. So we know Titus, he destroyed the second temple and then he went and he was on the ship and God started making crazy, crazy waves and, you know, like, and, and Titus was like, of course. You destroyed where? The Egyptians in the ocean. He says, you know what? He's like, you want to fight me, God? Mano a mano, let's do it on land. So God said, fine, you want to do that? That instant, the sea calmed down. It wasn't shaking anymore. The second the Titus stepped foot on the ground, God sent a tiny little gnat, a mosquito, went up his nose and started knacking on his brain. And it started chewing on his brain until he ended up dying. What did he die from? The smallest creature. He says, you think you're so arrogant that you think you're able to do anything? I'm going to send my smallest creature and he's going to destroy you from within. So that's how it's going to end up happening at the end. Arrogant people, always they're never uh, able to survive. And this is, says, Rav Shemshel Hirsch, you know the name Gog? Gog is very similar to Gag. Gog is a roof. What's, what's, with the, what's with the roof? The roof is, it's like you're saying, like, I have power, I have self-confidence, you know, you're, you're, you're able to withstand all everything from the outside because I'm dealing with my roof right here. You don't need God. I have everything over here. So that's why Gog, that, that arrogance is specifically, his name represents the arrogance, the roof, the fact that he doesn't need God, doesn't need anything above the roof. He needs only whatever is from within. So, the, um, after, after Islam and the Christianity, the, you know, Adam and Ishmael, after they are going to go and they're going to fight it out, they are, there's going to be a lot of destruction and after that they're going to, um, there's going to be a, like all the nations of the world, the 70 nations of the world, they're going to unite together and they're going to go against Yerushalayim. And it's going to be everybody against, against Israel. So, 
there is, um, you know, when, when in Pesach, we say in the Haggadah, we say, And every generation they're going to come and they try to destroy us. But it's very interesting because in every generation when they come to destroy us, they don't all unite together to destroy us. It's usually one country, even some countries can band together and come to destroy us. But there's always something left over. There's always a country, a place left over that we could go escape and have refuge over there. And you know, you know, and this is where you know how you have the Jews constantly moving throughout the throughout the history. Right? You have people in Azerbaijan, and you have the people in in Bukhara. Is that how it's pronounced? Bukhara. Bukhara. You have people in Bukhara, and then you have people in Moscow, and people in Ukraine. And then you have people completely, you know, in America, in different places. And it, as the places are more hostile towards the Jews, and Syria, you know, there's no more Jews as far as I know can be possibly left over there. So you know, everybody's slowly moving away. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so you have everybody moving out. And, but there's always another nation that we could sort of go and find refuge. At the end of the day, it's not going to be that. All the nations of the world are going to come together, they unite together against, uh, against a Jewish nation. The purpose for this is that God's going to save us from all those nations. So it's going to be, uh, bigger, bigger. oh, it's going to be so cool. Oh. <laughs> it's going to be so cool. Um, but yeah, we got, we got, you got, you got you got to, we, we got to go and explain it. That's going to be more next week on how cool it's, it's going to be. And, and, uh, but at the same point in time, we have to make sure that we are on the safe side. And, uh, you know, um, I guess the cool side, not the hot side. So, um, it's something that we need to definitely, and, and by the way, it's suffering going to be for everybody. So it's not the, it's, you know, I'm giving too many spoilers. Let's move on. Okay. So now the, um, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, page 97b, it says that uh, um, Baruch Hu is going to bring a king as wicked as Haman to do to make the people do tshuva. There is going to be two paths in, in order for us to go this, and we're going to explain this in more depth next week. You could either have a path of nice and easy, or you could have a hard way. Right? You could look like at the good cop, bad cop. You know, you have two paths. There are two ways to do it. You could either deal with the bad guy, or you could bad cop, or you could deal with the with the good cop. It's going to happen anyway. The question is, how are we going to get there? So, if we're not going to do tshuva on our own, God is going to send us a wicked king like Haman. To do that. So the question that Chachamim asks, why specifically Haman? We had so, why not like Titus? We have so many, why not like Hitler? Why specifically Haman? Why specifically did we use the, the reference to Haman as opposed to anything else? The reason for it being is that, and Ramosha Shapiro explains this, the unique aspect of Haman is that Haman had authorization over the entire world. Mihodu ve'at kush, we say, right, from, uh, uh, in the Megillah. So, Achashverosh ruled the entire civilized world. And he was going to go and destroy all the Jews in the entire civilized world. Which means this, we had nowhere to escape. We were done. There's no way, like, we can't say, okay, listen, you know, um, Europe is, is uh, you know, on our case now, let's move you to, to America or to Israel. We couldn't do that back then because America and Israel was all owned and operated and ruled by the same government. So there was nowhere for us to run, nowhere for us to run, to hide. This is what's going to happen in the end of the days. There's going to be nowhere for us to run or hide. Who could have that power nowadays? Uh, that's very interesting, so we'll find yeah, out. Yeah. So, so this is also, this is also um, something very interesting when you look at the gematria, the, the numerical value. Edom, numerically, is 51. Yishmael is... This is wrong. Um, I put here 45, but it's not 45. But uh, the numerical value for Edom and Yishmael equal 502. The same numerical value as Aru Haman. You know, Aru Haman is equal to Baruch Mordechai. Cursed is Haman is the same numerical value as, as, uh, Yishmael and Edom together. So, the, um, the, and the Vilna Goa, the Chavetz Chaim also brings us that the, and, and, you know, the, we said this, that the first two world wars was the first part of Gog Magog. Already started. 
They already started. It's three parts of it. Those are the first two parts. Oh, maybe we didn't speak about it. The first two parts are, uh, are World War One, World War Two, World War Three, which is going to be the the final the final war, the final uh, the the Gog Magog. This is going to be the Vilna Gaon explains is that the entire world will suffer during the during Gog Magog. It's not going to be an isolated in, in certain areas. It's going to be the entire world, unfortunately. And um, yeah, we're going to speak about that next week. Yeah. So the and this. The you know the where where the nations are united the seventy nations get united together the this brings down in so many places you look at the Zohar Arizal the Ramak the Medrash Vayosha the Medrash also Tanhuma all bring down that what's going to happen that the seventy nations are going to unite together they unite together and the Arizal explains that the numerical value of Gogumagog is seventy. Compared to what's going about, it's going to be all the 70 nations that you're going to unite together, corresponding to the 70 nations. They're going to go and they're going to join and fight together against, against Israel. And Israel is not going to be saved now from just one nation. It's going to be saved from everybody. All the nations of the world are going to be saved. The, uh, and this is why it's going to be called, at that time it's going to be called Hoshana Rabbah. So, the, um, you know, the, there is a very scary thing when, when Yishmael and Esau are going to be united. And we can see that in our, in our history. That you have when Yaakov Avinu, he went and, uh, when did he go and he left the land of Israel for Haran? When Yishmael went and he married into, um, I'm sorry, when, it was when Esav. When Esav and Yishmael joined for, forces. When they joined for, forces, they, um, they went and Yaakov decided this is not gonna be good. Cause once they're joining forces, they're gonna have a lot of merit on their, on their hands. Cause they already have some merit. Where's their merit? We know that Esav, that he lived in the land of Israel and he fulfilled the kibbutz of Aim. He honored his parents when he went away. So he has that merit. Yishma'ad has the faith, hospitality, and the big which we spoke about. So they have that merit. Alone, we could deal with them. We could fight. We would be able to survive. But once they're united, that's a problem. That's why Yaakov started like, no, I have, now I have to leave. So we see at the end of days, it's going to really be the make it or break it. It's going to be the end. It's literally going to be the end of time because it's not going to be possible to continue without it. So the, um, there's, there's also a very interesting idea that Rabbi Shem Bar Yochai brings down. That he says in the future, all the kings that oppressed us are going to come and they're going to be reincarnated. And they're going to rule. And they're going to come against us and they're going to fall down hard. Why? Why, what's the purpose of this? Says, says Rashi in Yechezkel, uh, chapter 38, verse 8. He says the reason is that God is going to take revenge. This is going to be revenge for everybody that went against the Jewish people and caused us uh, persecution and suffering. And nonstop, they're going, to go down, they're going to go down and they're going to go down hard in the time of, of the end of days. So I had somebody, um, I don't know if I should tell you who it was. It rhymes with uh, my uh, brother-in-law. And he once, uh, you know, he once told me, he says, you know, he says, uh, um, he, cut, he says, he says, you know, like when an atheist comes up to heaven, he says, I want to be there when he sees God. You know, like I just want to be in that meeting situation. You know, be like, you know, as so the atheists come up, they'll be like, oh, huh. huh. Oh, all right. I, uh, you know, what now? I, I, I guess I was wrong. You know, so he wants to be the guy and be like, like in your face, like, ha ha, you know. So this is what's gonna, sort of what's gonna happen in the end of, uh, end of days. Not because we're petty and we'll be like, revenge, yes, <laughs> success at last. Uh, I've been dreaming about, that's not, that's not gonna be the, that's not gonna be the, our focus. Our focus it's is not gonna be, worry. it's, yeah, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna, you know how like you have somebody. People, like it's his creations, like wouldn't you feel a little bad about it? There's, a, there's a, it's part of their, uh, their tikkun, it's part of their, it's, oh, uh, yeah. It um, it's, it's not just for fun. It's not gonna, what? I'm, I don't. I hope his name's not going to be Hitler again. But yeah, the same idea, yeah. But you never know. There are people. No, the, just like what did his soul go through in order to come back and do all of that? 
there are some very, very evil people in the world. And there are some really, really good people in the world. Let's focus on the good. <laughs> Let's not try to figure out where he went. Evil, How does someone become evil? Um, he has a layer and, you know, he deals with... No, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I never understood why Hashem would, like, even allow someone to become that evil. Free, free will. Yeah. There's free will. Everybody has free will. You have the ability to do everything and anything that you want, which is scary and comforting at the same time. Yeah, and empowering is a better word for it. So, but it but says the time of the Veil this is what he says, says that everybody's going to be, everybody's going to come back, and every nation, this is also how we're going to explain what's going to be with the non-Jews, every nation... That, that didn't, that oppress the Jews, they're gonna see the Jewish people's success. They're gonna see how the Jews are gonna succeed at the end of the days. And you know, by the way, thank you. When I, when I, I heard about this beforehand, I was like, come on, I don't, you know, until I saw it inside. Thank you. And when I saw it inside, I'm like, okay, that's it. Now it's sourced. Now it's legit. So, you see over here that it's, it's gonna be something that is, is everybody that oppressed us, everybody that caused us problems and hatred, and you know, caused us, you know, the dirty Jews to do nothing, you know, a bunch of, you know, who knows what, scumbags. They're gonna come back, they're gonna see our rejoicing, they're gonna see our success, and oh, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt, not us, them. And, uh, so this is also, what is the non-Jews gonna be in the time when Mashiach comes? The non-Jews are the ones that didn't suppress us, the ones that were good non-Jews, that kept the Shev Mitzvahs ben Enoch. They're gonna become the farmers, and, uh, these are vineyards, but it's pronounced vine dressers. Uh, they're not gonna dress vines, but they are going to, you know, deal with the, with the vines. Um, so, so th- this is the, this is the idea of what's going to happen at the at the end of days. And it says that Mitzuta David and Ibn Ezra also say that the battle at the end of days, besides causing the punishment for all the nations that oppress us, it's also going to be a source of of eradication of all the Jewish sinners that are going to be in the world. So it's a sort of think of it like a really massive cleansing process. Like you know, you do like heavy duty cleaning on the world of all the bad and evil that that uh, reigned inside it. So the um, the war that is going to be the Gogo Magog, you think about it, it's going to be a, a very spiritual style war, which means is the it's not going to be a war particularly only against the Jewish people. It's going to be a war against God. And you think about it when you when you when you think about it nowadays, you'd be like, no one even speaks to God as if God exists. Unfortunately, nowadays even religious people will be like, okay, well, I, you know, there's a God out there, but like. How do you fight a war against God? You know, like, what do you do? You shoot arrows, you shoot a missile into space? We know that space is not where God, you know, like, so what is actually going to, going to happen? So, the, um, the, the Chazal tell us that, that, uh, what, what's going to happen is, is that, you know, let me, let me explain you how the Medrash, the Medrash Rabbah in Vayikra explains like this. He says, Esav, when he wanted to go and destroy Yaakov Avinu, what did he say? He said, you know, Cain, who, who went and killed Abel, Heather, he said, you know, Cain was a fool. Why was he a fool? Because he killed his brother, while his father was still alive, did he not think that his father is going to have another child? He says, what? He was trying to be the only successor, but now he is, has, his father was able to produce another child, and he did. And that's why, so says Esav, I'm not going to be like that. Rather, I'm going to wait. And it says the Pasuk in, uh, in Genesis chapter 27 verse 41 that Esav waited until Yitzchak passed away, until the day of his mourning. He says, now I'm going to go kill Yaakov. Because now my father can't have any more children, he says. But the problem is, where was he wrong? He went and that's why he chased him. But, the, but he was wrong, why? Because, Yaakov had many kids by that point in time, and he didn't kill him, we know. So, this is what Paro, Paro, when it comes after him, he's gonna say, Esav was a fool. He said, didn't he think that, you know, if he would wait until, until Yaakov, until Yitzhak passed away, he knows that Yaakov would have many kids. So you can't kill the Jewish nation then, you're gonna have to, you know, you have to do it. So Paro says, no, what I'm gonna do, he says, I'm gonna throw every boy into the Nile. That's in Exodus chapter 1 verse uh, 22. Then Haman is going to come and be like, what a fool Paro was. Everyone's coming in, learning from his ancestors, saying, what a, what a fool that person was. Why is it Paro? says, says, what? He's killing just the men. What about the girls? The girls can't have kids. The girls are the ones that's going to have kids. The Jewish uh, nation will continue. So, so what did Haman say? Haman said, I'm going to eradicate everybody. 
a man, woman, and children all in one day. Right in Esther chapter 3 verse uh, 13. Gog is going to come, he's going to say the same thing. He says, oh, all those people behind me knew nothing. What are they talking about? They're going and they're trying to fight a war where they have a patron in heaven, God. He says, rather what I'm going to do is first I'm going to deal with the patron, the patron in heaven, the God. I'm going to deal with God. And after I deal with God, then I'm going to be able to go and eradicate every all the Jewish nation uh, without any problem. How? That's a question beyond my mental capacities so how he's going to d- decide to do that. But this is what the Midrash, you know, how the Midrash explains it. So, and we see, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this, um, and I want to, I want to show you, to show you the, the verses of where it's also, the, where you could source these things in the Torah. In Tehilim, chapter 2, verse 2. It says, The kings of the entire of the land will stand up, and they will go and they will gather together. And what are they going to come? They're going to come discuss against, against who? They're going to come and discuss how we're going to deal with God and His Mashiach, and, and uh, the Mashiach. So, God is going to say, <laughs> you, you know, this is hilarious. You guys are coming to fight against me? And look at what the verse says in Isaiah, chapter 42, verse 13. He says, you want war? He says, alright, let's do this. Let's take this outside. We're inside the war. Let's do it. Either way, I got you. And he go, and he's going to say, and he says, he, the, Hashem will go out like a warrior, like a hero, and he'll go out to fight war against these people. We see this also in Zechariah, chapter 14, verse 3. He's going to go forth and he's going to fight against these nations. It's going to be a war. And we're going to see next, uh, you know, next week, Bezat Hashem, the war is going to be mostly fought from God. God is going to deal with these things. Oh, it's, it's miraculous, like crazy. But, the same idea is going to be just like we had Paro. Paro said, Mi Hashem ma Right in, Sh- in Shemos, Exodus chapter 5 verse 2. It says, who is God that I should listen to him? I don't know this God. You know, Moshe came over to, to Paro and says, listen, um, send me out. God send me the God. Well, who? God? I don't know this God. The same thing is going to happen in the days. Everyone who's coming is going to say, you know, we don't, we don't know, uh, you know, this God. We're going to fight against this God. And this is what happened in, in Egypt. It says, oh, you don't know who I am. So God sent them ten plagues. Ten massive, amazing, awesome, crazy plagues and to, to realize and know that not only Hashem created the world, He's constantly overseeing the world and He's doing everything and anything that happens in this world is only because He does it. So, this is what's going to happen only at the end of days. Just like we had the ten plagues over there, there's going to be ten, ten plagues that's going to come back in the time of Mashiach. And the prophet, and that now everybody's going to see, and we see over here in Yechezkel, chapter 38, verse 23, what's going to happen after Gogo Magog, after Mashiach? It says, Hashem. Everybody's going to know that I am God. Nobody's gonna able to deny it. In the beginning, they're gonna deny it, they're gonna fight against it. But at the end, you know, like when you, you know, like you have these like tough little guys that go into the boxing ring and be like, I'll take you out, you know, and the guy just holds over there and, you know, they're trying to like get over there. And like as if, you know, like I could do it. And eventually the guy gives you one like, uh, you know, knock in the face and you go flying into, you know, to the heaven. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, listen, I can't deal with it. At the same time, they're gonna come up with arrogance, thinking that they could accomplish everything and they're gonna be brought down to their knees. And they will all realize that God is, uh, one. So, the, um, and, and we said also earlier that Edom, and, uh, well, I'm not gonna go through all the verses because it's getting a little bit late, but Edom, if you wanna look it up, it's in Ishayahu, chapter 34, speaks about what's gonna happen with Edom. What's gonna happen with Edom, it's gonna be, it's, it's ridiculous over there, because it says it's gonna be a waste. It's gonna be a, like no man's land. Not only that, its palaces will grow thorns. And now even more, there's going to be a demon, and it says over here the name, that's because she's gonna find her resting place in, the, in those lands. Why specifically, what does it mean a demon that's finding a resting place over there? The answer is, is because demons usually don't inhabit places where humans are. So there's gonna be so desolate that demons are gonna be able to go and, and rest over there. Is it America? Edom, America? Edom. Edom is all the, yeah. She's talking about America though, right? too, no? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that's going to be not only for Edom, that's going to be also for, for Egypt. We said Ishmael, Ishmael, Egypt, it says in Yol, chapter 4, verse 19, we said Egypt shall become desolate, and Edom will also become like a desert waste. Okay. So now, getting scared? 
Good. A little bit, Good. but I've always been scared. Oh, yeah. you know? Wait till next week. That's where it's going to come. That's where it's going to get. That's where it's going to get. That's where it's going to get the. So excited. <laughs> <laughs> so now, okay, so now this is, uh, this is, uh, you know, now we have to go into a little bit in the last uh, few minutes that we have to try to understand with uh, the whole idea with suffering. We know there's going to be a tremendous amount of suffering in the end of days for everybody. Uh, it's not going to be, it's not, even though it's going to be cool afterwards, it's going to be a very, very hard time. We know the Gemara says that, you know, either rabbi says, you know, woe to, you know, like they don't even want to be in the time of the Mashiach because it's going to be so scary and so dangerous and so, so, um, so much suffering that's going to be going on. So why is it that there is suffering that comes up? Says the Gemara, says the Pasuk, I'm sorry, in, in Devarim, chapter 31, verse uh, 29, that you should know that the evil will befall you on the end of days because you did evil for, for, towards Hashem. So the only reason why bad things happen, and we're going to speak about it, is because something went wrong. And this is some sort of a fixing process. And we know that when the time of Mashiach comes, it's not only going to be a fixing process for the the non-Jews, it's also going to be a fixing process, unfortunately, for the Jews. They're going to go through a lot of suffering. Now, why? Why do we need to go through a lot of suffering? So we know that, number one, is uh, the, there's the Gemara in Bachot says that you could go for it for two reasons. Number one, it should be either to erase all your sins. That you go suffering and it sort of cleanses you, like a dry cleaning. Number two, it also corrects any person's transgression. Because if someone does something wrong, and they keep on doing something wrong, and they start getting diseases... They start realizing, okay, you know, maybe I should stop doing it. I'm particularly speaking about one thing. When some people are promiscuous, there are certain diseases that come along with that. So that they should wake up and realize, okay, maybe, you know, unfortunately now, what do you have all these, the, the wicked people? No, it's because you don't use protection, you know, you have to be careful, this and that. No, no, you have to stop doing what you're doing, and that's why you have to do that. The, the, not, the, not the other way around. So, the morale says that, you know, when, when somebody goes and somebody does a, a mitzvah, so he, he brings his soul and his body closer together, which means bringing himself closer together to God. When someone does a sin, he separates it. The suffering comes in and sort of fixes that, that separation that you did. It sort of brings it, brings it together. And the idea is very, very simple if you just look through statistics in, in history. There are more people religious where they're not as successful as the, 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 as the successful people. The successful people and, and the, you know, the people that, that, you know, usually deal with like religion and they're very devout. I'm talking about like Christians, Muslims, you know, all those people are usually people from the third world or they, they're going through a lot of problems in life. And they don't, they, which means is they don't really, they, they're not so like devoutly believing in it. They just see it as a way out and it helps them to cope. So, and that's why they deal with that because suffering and hardships brings you closer to God. So now, this is why the wicked people uh, suffer. Why do the righteous people suffer? We know righteous people suffer. That is a very famous question. Why how come good things happen? happen how come bad things happen to good people? Very famous question. So, I'll give you two answers for this. And we spoke about this in depth in the, in the class we did a while ago on suffering. The Jewish people, we are all united. We're all considered one. Which means is that if one person does something bad, it affects us. If one person does something good, it affects us also. So, with the righteous person, it, what happens is, is if let's say he has to go through suffering... He could even go through suffering for the other people. And we know this, that there's sometimes the righteous people die, die a little bit before their time, whatever it is. Why? To prevent tragedies from happening to the, uh, to the world. Right? We brought this up once with the Baba Sali, where he came to, um, I think it was Ramon Chayaliyahu, where he said, you know, either this is going to happen or this is going to happen, and he chose that he is going to uh, come up as, as a sacrifice for us. No, this is not, you don't, you don't commit suicide for this thing. But this is where God takes you. Now, you would think, like, what is this? this person so righteous. They don't worry about it. In the next world, this person is getting reward for the entire, as if he fixed the entire world. Because because of that, the world was able to endure and it was able to continue. So, because we're all united, their suffering could be because something that is going on on your friend, on your family, on your on somebody else, because of some association that you had. Number two, we know that, uh, you know, from uh, uh, Pikabala, that the whole purpose of reincarnation, why we come here again, it's to fix something. 
It's not because like, oh, well, we still have time for Mashiach. You want to come down again? Yeah, well, let's go. You know, it's like, you know, you, it's not, it's you're doing it to fix something. You either messed up something in previously. Most likely we've all messed up something previously and we're coming back here again to fix it. So, how is this fixing is accomplished? I mean, you come, either it's going to be through self-improvement or through suffering. The question is, how do you want to go through it? You want to go through your self-improvement or you want to go through your suffering. But one way or another, by hook or by crook, it's going to be fixed. So this is for us to deal with and wake up. This is why, uh, you know, Darizal says that in time before Mashiach comes, all the nations, all the souls that were ever created, they're going to be coming back down now. And they come, and it's interesting because you look at how the population just, you know, spread out because there's so many people like coming here. We have like, there's, there's only a certain amount of time before Mashiach comes. Everybody's gonna, you know, it's like right before closing, you know, and you're shopping. So you're going in there and you're not sure if you like it. Oh, forget it. What's the return policy? You know, you just grab everything. You know, let's go, you know, and you go over there. And, and you, why? Because the, the store is closing. The world is closing and it's time to fix it. So you're, we're just, you know, everything is going so fast now. Everything is, go, is going crazy. This, so it's going to be that all souls are going to be complete at that point in time. From Adam until the generation that we are today, everything is going to get fixed. Rabbi Al-Khanan Wasserman says this in the name of the Chavetz Chaim, that when Mashiach comes, it's going to be in a state of completeness. And he brings something fascinating. He says, are you guys uh, are familiar with the, um, the idea of uh, Kantonist? The Kantonist? I'm saying it in a Russian accent, you know what I'm saying? I even asked to make sure how to say it in Russian. It's in English, it's Kantonist. But it's Kantonist, you know, in our... Or Cantonese, you know, in Russian. Um, so Cantonese was a, this was a decree in um, eighteen uh, whatever it was like a while back in eighteen twenty seven that the Jewish children were kidnapped and they were served as soldiers in the Tsar's army in the Russian army for twenty five years. Oh yeah, so you guys know, just didn't know Cantonese. Well, now you know. So if you learn one thing, yeah. So if you learn one thing today, you learn Cantonese. Okay, so it's just a fun word to say. I'm sorry. Um, so, so, so the, um, so the says time, you know, these, these kids got taken away or were very young. Don't know that, could have, most of them don't even know that they were Jewish. Who knows where they are now? What, what were their souls? The Chavetz Chaim says those souls were, they, um, they came as a reincarnation, that they were originally in the first, in the time of the first, uh, Bet Amigdash, in the first temple, and they worshipped a certain idol called Baal. And they came back then to do a tikkun, and that's why they went to where they, they had to go. So everything you see that goes on in the world, you see, you know, and this is where we can begin to understand a glimpse, a glimpse of the Holocaust, where, where everything happens for a reason. Nothing happens for no reason. And everything is, is going in, it's everything is getting fixed on, uh, fixed over here. There's gonna be a tikkunim that is going on over here. So, the, um, you know, the, and, and we have to, you know, even though it's difficult at these times, you know, it's through suffering, it's, it's, it's very imperative that we understand where it's coming from. I do, you go to a doctor, and the doctor says, uh, unfortunately, you're not feeling well, the doctor says, okay, listen, you have to take this medicine. Oh, but it's so disgusting. It's like you open up the, the, the bottle and everybody has to leave the room or they pass out. It's like that bad, you know, even when you close your nose, it's still terrible. The doctor says, listen, you gotta take it, otherwise it's not gonna be good for you. So you're gonna take it. You're gonna be angry at the doctor and be like, I can't believe this doctor gave it. He's like, no, he, he, he cares about you and his license and his money, but he cares also probably, you know, hopefully about you. So he's giving, he's giving you the medicine so, so that you can be better. God is the ultimate doctor, the ultimate soul doctor and the physical doctor, but he knows what you need and what you're lacking. So he's giving you whatever you need to do to get better spiritually speaking so he's sending us all these things all these wake up calls and we have to realize there's two paths that we could, we could go we could stand in front either we're going to take the medicine or there's a different option you go to the doctor and say listen either you're going to take this terrible medicine you have to go through chemo and terrible thing or you're going to go and you have to um, you know watch what you eat be careful what you eat you know so you know I mean come on you know either go through chemo or be careful what you eat I don't know if this is true I saw this um but uh, if it is true, it's ridiculous. There was a certain doctor, a very, very wealthy doctor. It's just popping in my head, so I'm a free tidbit of information. That uh, there was a doctor that was given um, three months left to live. 
and he uh, for stage four metastasized cancer of the, I think it was the bones. I don't know what the you know so so some sort of advanced stage if I'm not mistaken. And he, everyone told him three three months left to live. And then he went and um, he he spoke to some you know so he was he had money and he was looking for all other possible options. And someone told him he found up some sort of research to do something called a, I think it's pronounced a ketonic diet, which means is like sort of like Atkins ketones. Yeah. So. Um, and I may be presenting this information wrong because I'm doing it from memory and I, I, I saw this a few days ago. But what happened was is that he went and, and uh, the way that he explains it is that cancer cells, the way that they are able to survive is through glucose. Mm-hmm. And if you're eating, oh, so starches, so things like that. But if, see, you didn't have nutritionist today, you have this. So um, you have, so, so, so what happens is, but they're able to survive only through glucose, through that type of thing, through that type of nourishment. If you starve it of glucose, they have nowhere to survive. But the regular cells, they're able to do either through glucose or through ketones. So if you have this only protein type of diet, what happens is your cells are surviving, but it's starving the cancer cells. And according to him, he was completely healed from it. I don't know if that's possible. I, don't, I can't validate its I'm authenticity. Sure I'm sure it's yeah? true. My next door neighbor uh, said he became, he a lot of became like a vegan, completely vegan. And he said his prostate cancer. He went away. So live in a place that we're so involved with food. We're so crazy about food. Everything. How many times is it? What we were going to eat tonight? Um, I don't know. Where did we eat last night? Chinese. We had Chinese and Mexican the night before. And we had uh, this. And then, okay, so you know what? Go over here. Where you look at, you just drive down the street. You know how many restaurants are open? I wouldn't. It's not one in every block. It's, It's one, then a shoe store, then another one, then a bank, then another bank. And then another bank, and then another restaurant, <laughs> and then another Pretty shoe much. store. Clearly, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's yeah. So so we're we're yeah. Everything is fast food. Everything. So we're very involved with, which is possible. That's why we're suffering for what we're suffering. You know, we cause it ourselves. But um, in any case, you see, there's multiple ways to fix something. So too in the spiritual world, there's multiple ways for you to fix that stuff. And um, the, the, the Rabbeinu Yonah says, you know, when these righteous people go through suffering, he says, you know what a character trait of a righteous person is that they're able to sing their praises while they're getting their dues paid up. Even though that they're going to, they're able to still sing praises to God. That is a character trait of a tzaddik, of a righteous person. The morale explains it also like this. In nature, there is uh, tra- transition periods. Um, so you have between, um, and every time there's a transition period, there's always involved some sort of suffering and, and hardships. So he explains it's like, let's say between winter and summer, there's also a transition period. Now, I don't know what he was referring to back then, but the first thing that came to mind when I was reading that, it was allergies. You know, that's like when allergies, you know, like in those in-between stages. I'm not sure what he went, but it's also when you go from cold to hot, when you jump in all these different things, it makes you, it weakens you. And he says not only spiritually, but also in the physical aspect. I'm sorry, not only physically, but also in the emotional aspect as well. So he was explaining that it's also in the transition period. Whenever you're transitioning something, it's always difficult. There's always some difficulties involved in it. And he said the same thing is when you should transition between childhood to adulthood. You know, that awkward stage where you get a lot of, you know, like halfway sentence. Like that. So that, well, at least in the guy's side. So it's a very, it's a, it's a very awkward stage. And all that. They go through a lot of suffering, right? The face is a polka dot to connect the dot situation. And things, you know, so it's a very, very hard uh, and suffering uh, stage. Unfortunately, nowadays, we have a different stage of transition. And now it's from adulthood to childhood, where it goes back, otherwise known as middle age crisis, um, which also goes through suffering. But you look at it, all transition periods have suffering. Everything has, everything has suffering. So too the time before Gogol Magog. Gogol Magog is between the time before Mashiach and the Mashiach, there's going to be a transition period. And that's going to be Gogol Magog, and that's going to be where the suffering is. And... 
Of course, we know that the way to get out of it is Torah in Gmilut Chasadim. The, um, and, and the Chafetz Chaim explains this in Avat Chesed. It says, if one occupies himself in Torah and in Chesed, so what's going to happen? He's going to be awakening the divine attribute of mercy. And then, when God forbid he is in a sticky situation, and he's going to turn to God, so just like he extended his kindness to somebody else, God will extend his kindness to him as well. So, the, oh, and this is something I have to actually uh, mention because last last week in the class I, I said if anybody knows a source for which rabbi said, uh, in Bokushim I got tons of emails for, for the sources, so I want to thank everybody who actually sent it, um, but I saw that, it, you know, uh, from the Chazonish, for example, there was something more recent, and I'm still, there's there's more, I'm probably going to get more emails on this, so I'll probably be able to give you more depth, but the Chazonish brought it down, I looked it up also, someone sent it to me, so thank you very much, um, that the Chazonish brings up that, you know, the end of the days, what do we need to work on? We need to work on Emunah. We need our work on because the, uh, the, the exile, last exile is a lack of faith that we have. So, now, um, we said about something that you could be saved from the end of days, the war, the terrible war. There's an dip, there's additional thing that the Gemara in Shabbat, page 118 says that you could also be saved from war. And this is something that people, you never heard this before, it'll be very difficult to understand. And that is, very simple, you gotta eat three meals on Shabbat. Mm-hmm. Three meals on Shabbat is gonna save you from three things. It's going to save you from the Chavlosh al-Mashiach, the suffering of Mashiach. It's going to save you from the judgment of hell. And it's going to save you from the war of Gog Magog. <coughs> Eating three meals on Shabbat. Which one to which and why? So to go, that's going to be a long time. I have it, I have it written down or something. Maybe, maybe one time we'll be able to go through that. There is a reason why specifically there's, there's similar words that are being used. Okay. So the, um, there's also, and I want to finish with this idea, that um, Rabbi Shem Baruchai says that if the Jewish people um, keep two Shabbatot, two Shabbatot, Mashiach is going to automatically come. Together, and, though, all the Jews. All, all the Jews, yeah, right. all the Jews. But, yeah, that. yeah. Well, everybody has to think for themselves. You know, if anybody, if you know, and, and try to get other people, obviously. But you shouldn't be like, okay, listen, I'm not going to keep Shabbat. I'm not going to because somebody else is going to do it. You know, imagine the kicker. Like, imagine everybody else does it except for you. Like, imagine like everybody else does it and except for you. And like after they'd be like, you know. It's all your fault. Yeah. And you know, like what the... It's interesting because we've had a few Yom Kippur's fall on Shabbat. Yeah. Oh, it's something very interesting when you speak about Yom Kippur. Yeah, I know that. Yeah? The, the, it says something very interesting because we know that uh, there, it's very apropos for the fall of, and Rehaib Gohan explains this, that the fall of the victory on the Gog and Magog, when we're, the, the, the end of it is going to be in Tishrei, which is the month of Sukkot right after, uh, you know, Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. Right after Gog and Magog? Yeah. Oh, no, no. Well, uh, I shouldn't say that. We'll speak about that next week. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to. Yeah, we're going to speak about that next week, Rosh Hashanah. Yeah. So. The um, the you know the idea with two Shabbatot right by by the time of of when Mashiach comes is like this uh, and I've I've heard this um, that the first one you know Yom Kippur is called also like a Shabbat it's also Yom Kippur is also known as a Shabbat so most people keep Yom Kippur. Uh, what happens right after Yom Kippur? There is one more Shabbat, which is usually falls out on Chalamoid, or you know, you know, it falls out. So you have Yom Kippur, and then you have the next Shabbat. Is that, so if they keep those two, what comes afterwards? Hoshana Rabbah. Now we said that the end of the day is going to be like Hoshana Rabbah. It's going to be like Hoshana Rabbah. That's where it's going to. That's where it's going to come. It's more more likely. Good. What when uh, when the uh, and what's going to happen? Also, that's why we we know it's a very famous idea. And we'll finish with this thought: is that when the um, after Mashiach comes, after everyone's going to win, and you know, everyone's going to be like, okay, so I guess Jews, you guys were right. Um, we were wrong. Um, <laughs> You know, peace. You know, like, you know, we were good all along. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so what's what's going to happen at that point in time? Their non-Jews are going to go over to the God and going to be like, listen, um, now we know that you're right, so give us a mitzvah, we'll do it. Um, and God, so God say, fine. You know, it's going to be Sukkot. So God says, I'll give you a Sukkah. Mm-hmm. 
So he's going to go and he's going to give the, the non-Jews. Yeah, they're going to give the non-Jews a, 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 a sukkah, and the Jews are going to be in the sukkah, and the non-Jews are going to be in sukkah, and then God's going to make it extremely, extremely hot. It's going to be so hot. And the law is in the halakha in, in sukkah. If you're suffering, you don't have to sit in the sukkah. So the Jews are going to leave, and the non-Jews are going to leave. But the non-Jews are going to do something very different. As they leave the sukkah, they kick the sukkah. They, what is it? Oh, come on, what's at the sukkah over here? And God's going to say, aha. So you see. So he said, you know, I see, you see, he never wanted to do the mitzvah. So now I'm just going to be like, what do you mean? The, non- the Jews left also. We left all. You know, everybody leaves because it's, it's terrible. It's suffering. He says, yeah, but the Jews didn't kick it. He says, when, you, when a Jew goes and is not able to do a mitzvah, they get rewarded as if they did it. You know why? Because they want to do it. I wish I could do it. I really want to do it. I just physically can't. So you get rewarded as if you did it. But this doesn't work like I wish I could keep Shabbat. I just physically can't because my show is on and it's just so hard. <laughs> you know, that doesn't get, I mean. Why that out, guys. I gotta smoke, but whatever. So, um, so, so the, the but the idea is is that when you, when it's beyond your capabilities and abilities to do something, and you're not able to do it, but you really want to do it, you get rewarded as if you did it. But the Jews wouldn't kick the, the sukkah because we love the sukkah. We want to do it. We want to do it. Mitzvah. So we get rewarded as if we did it. But the non-Jews, they go and they kick the sukkah, which means is they don't care about it. They didn't want. Which shows their real essence inside. It shows God only goes based on you know based on the actions in this world over here. Now, obviously, the thoughts and, and emotions, everything comes into contact. But over here, God basically proves to themselves to them. Be like, look, you see, you never wanted to do it. You know, it's all in the mouth. It's all in the talk. Really, you see over here, I showed you, I gave you the ability and you kicked it. Which means that you never wanted to do it. And because you never wanted to do it, there's no excuse for you to say, oh, you would have given to us and we wouldn't have done it. So there's no excuse at the end of the day. So we see over here that, uh, you know, we're going we're to expand it. This was just an introduction for next week's class. This all was only an introduction for next week's class for the, um, for the, t- for the Gogoma Gog. But we see over here something very, very important. It's going to be a very, very hard time. And next week we're going to speak about it in depth on how, 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 how it's going to all go down. And, you know, it, there's ways to get out of it. There's ways to save yourself from it. And the ways that we have to start working on is now. It's Tua and Gemilu Chasudim. We have to get our closer to God through Tua and doing uh, deeds of kindness. And we're going to be able to do that because Hashem will not only be able to be saved uh, um, from that, but hopefully we'll be able to, by us doing something good, it usually triples down, trickles down. That when you, and the idea is like this, if let's say you have a, one family member starts keeping Shabbat, it usually starts trickling down to other family members. Slowly, slowly. You know why? It, it usually happens depending on how religious that person becomes. If let's say there's one person become religious in the entire household, if that person really becomes religious, it starts trickling down. Why? Because people start saying, okay, like, listen, you know, like, they're, they're better people. Like, you could actually see somebody who's becoming religious, it's guaranteed. If they really become religious, they're becoming a better person. Guaranteed. And if you guys are not familiar with it, you know, I'm sure that, I'm sure that if you know somebody like that, you could tell if somebody's really close to God and really, they become a better person. Every aspect of it. So when you're becoming a better person, all of a sudden somebody be like, well, listen, I want to, you know, that's not so bad so let me try it out also so this is Bizzat Hashem not only going to help us it's also going to help our families our friends our neighbors and everybody else Bizzat Hashem you've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com